Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 296, RPGs for Therapy. Presented by Heather O'Neill, Timothy Grant, Brian Quinone, and Jack Birkenstock. Hi, this is the RPGs for Therapy session. I'm Heather O'Neill with Ninth Level Games, and uh, this is Jack. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you. Uh, I'm uh, Jack Birkenstock Jr. I'm a master's level clinician, uh, as well as uh, executive director, one of the founders of the Bodana Group. We're a 501c3 based in York, PA, that uses tabletop gaming for education, skill building, and therapy, as well as providing training and consultation. Uh, and we host the Save Against Fear convention every year in October. I think that's all of the, the the mainstays there. So thanks for having me on. All right, uh, Brian? Um, my name is Dr. Brian Quinones. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of New Jersey, a registered play therapist supervisor. There's a couple other letters and stuff afterwards. Um, I am co-owner of Gaming Approaches Towards Education, where we focus on um, providing in-home, in-office, and in-community therapy uh, for child, adolescent, and adults, uh, both on spectrum and off. And uh, the main thing we focus on is we try to take like uh, an integrative gameplay approach So uh, for our sessions. So we'll use um, board gaming, storytelling, and role-playing games, uh, both in the office and online, and in the home. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Tim? Hi, I'm Timothy Grant. Uh, I'm the co-owner of Gaming Approaches Towards Education as well. Uh, I am the program director here, and I am also a game designer. Cool. I wanted to let everybody kind of introduce themselves first because they are more of the RP or more of the therapy side. Um, even though we all do a little bit of RPG, I am uh, not involved in therapy in any way, but I think it's cool what everybody's doing and how they're using games in therapy sessions. Uh, and that's how I kind of got involved with meeting all of these great people. Um, so the first thing I want to just kind of touch on is to kind of make sure that everybody knows this is a thing is the benefits of using RPGs for therapy. If you want to do like a high level kind of synopsis on that, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you mind if I um, jump on that? first? I, I mean, what, what, yeah, one of the big basics uh, behind RPG is there are so many opportunities for, you know, for skill building that are kind of crucial and essential for therapy. I and mean, at the very basic level, you're getting together with a group of people for a shared purpose, a shared goal, and you're telling stories that allow you to, you know, rewrite your narrative, which could be the way that you think about problems, the way you experience situations, whether it's, uh, you know, emotional situations you know we've used rpg for anxiety for depression for trauma uh social skills of course is a big application of rpg but it's it's really about writing a story 
that allows a person to explore, rehearse, practice, and engage, and then not over-therapizing, I guess is one of the things that Bodana is always very, like, we don't do, like, every 10 minutes, you know, we don't Freud check in from behind the screen, like, going, you know, how do you feel? You know, it's, it, no, it's very fluid. It's very kind of, you know, a lot of aspects of play therapy, but so I'm sure, you know, Brian can definitely speak a lot yeah. more eloquently on than I can. Um, eloquent is a strong word for what I do. <laughs> well, you're a strong person, so yeah. there you go. I crossed my arms at the right time and everything for it. Um, so <clears throat> within the, like, the concepts of play therapy, right, um, you have the idea of what's called the, the powers of play. And so if, if you're engaging in, like, role-playing and you're trying to, like, hit some of these notes, you're going to see, like, a building on social skills, a building up on uh, relationships, uh, connections. You're going to see, um, you're going to try to establish some form of emotional wellness and uh, personal strengths. Um, and so when you're, when you're using storytelling, when you're using role-playing, um, you're looking to engage a person, uh, child, parent, you know, in as many different uh, positive skills as, as they can. Uh, because you're looking for different ways to build them up and support them. And you're using stories either um, metaphorically to try to show their uh, their process. Or in some cases, depending on where the person is at on the spectrum, it might have to be a lot more concrete. And you'll, you'll have to be more aware of what how, how your gameplay as a GM or uh, is being interpreted by that person as a player. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the one of the big things to to keep in mind when you're um, doing RPGs for for this purpose for a therapeutic purpose. Uh, I would I mean you guys explained it very well, but I would like to talk about some of the games that we use. So like one one of the games that we're currently using that that we we really like is Kids on Bikes. And Jack, I know you're using Kids on Bikes currently as well. Um, Yep. And one of the things that we really enjoy about Kids on Bikes right now is the relationship questions. Those relationship questions really help uh, build the relationships amongst the players and also the NPCs that might be around, right? And you're now trying to build connections. You're trying to work on the skills that you're, you need to improve upon. And it's naturally going to happen as you're playing. So it's not like we're we're trying like like Jack said we're not trying to to push the the therapy on you we're just trying to let it happen naturally through play and that's one of the most important things about designing a role playing game to be used intentionally for therapy is let the play yeah. be the most important thing not the therapy. Yeah, one other quick thing that I have no, I have nothing to say about how you would use these for therapy except for the fact that just from my own experience of playing a game like a kids on bike or a fiasco or something where you're building the relationship. Yeah. Um, it, depending on what's going on in your life or like whatever, like sometimes just having that session, like it will help like clear your anxiety or like, you know, you get into that mode that is 100% happened for me and people that I know. So I can see the benefit of it uh, when you really have a professional actually crafting <laughs> the right game and the right scenario. 
Yeah, I mean it. It. I mean this. I'm going to kind of work this back into you know what Tim was touching on with mechanics. I mean it really is this big aspect of gaming itself is is a therapeutic exercise. It's not a clinically therapeutic exercise, which is one of the differences. You know, like you just said, Heather. Right. You know, there's a week where man, I've been jacked for 60 hours this week. Can I just spend six hours, or now that I'm older, four hours? But just not being jacked for a while. That's therapeutic. It's like a vacation. But we're talking about clinical intentional inclusion right. of goals that target problem areas, struggles, challenges, you right. know, areas we want to work on. And and I think talking about system design with what systems, I kind of prefer rules light systems because I don't want to spend a two hour session doing combat, you know, no insult to heavy crunch systems. They have their place, but I like light and airy, but I also know that there are clients who need it locked down. You know, they need they need borders to the sandbox. Other people are kind of just I'm you know I'm gonna run. I'm an angel. I'm a fairy. I'm a whatever. You know I'm just being a thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you know mechanics, setting, and what a game offers for that. Like we use about 15 different systems that we give as options. So we talk about genre being important. We talk about setting being important because even within genre. You know, you you have tons of different superhero games that are different themes. Mm -hmm. uh, the mechanics are highly important, especially when you're talking about younger kids or people with disability. You know, there's so many considerations when you talk about selecting a system, which is, I guess, why in all of our cases, we've kind of went, hey, why don't we make a thing? Yeah. Because, you know, what's out there doesn't yeah. quite quite fit a niche that we're kind of looking for. I, I really and like... Uh, the other thing with that you brought up uh, rules light, right? Because when we think about, you know, when we're going to use this in therapy, right? If a therapist is going to use your game intentionally for therapy, it needs to be able to be ran in a therapeutic hour. So it needs to be ran in a 45-minute session or 45-minute yeah. increments. So uh, we have to keep that in mind as if we're designing a game for therapy, that has to be something that's in the forefront. Because if we can't play it within an hour, then we probably can't use it. Yeah. Because yep. even, even if you're doing groups, um, most groups can go an hour, hour and a half. But that's really on the therapist, right? That's really yep. on whatever is going on for, for that session, that group. And it also depends on whether or not it's a peer run group or a, yeah. a therapist facilitated yeah. group and that could that could change the design so yeah we know we have it we have at least 45 minutes what can we do with that yeah. time that is that yeah. is one of the things that i think would come up the the other thing and this is one of the um as far as systems and as far as accessibility because of of covid things have changed in such a way where I have less of a chance of testing out whether or not a game like The Quiet Year or Companion's Tale is going to work in person if I am stuck like online. And the reason, and I, and I know some of these games are available online, and I'm, I'm doing a similar game, I'm playing a similar game called Junkyard Online, but that's because I already know that this person can't handle that tool set now because they got to do that on the computer, right? But whereas in, in person, just having that pencil and having that paper in front of them and them growing that world, growing their community, uh, growing their story visually in front of them, especially for the kids that we've worked with um, on the spectrum, that can keep them anchored and keep them grounded in the, the, the gameplay and everything that's going on around them. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a fidget tool, you know, like it's something to, to do while you're doing the other thing. While you're listening, so I'm going to draw. Right, right. Uh, one of the things I've heard at least Brian and Tim talk about, and Jack, I would assume you're doing the same thing at your place, is pulling elements from a system or from an adventure yeah. or from a board game even and putting it into your session because you're like, this is what I needed. Yeah, I want the quiet year, but I want this. Or I want kids on bikes, but I want to add this. Yeah. Um, talk oh, a little yeah. bit about the, how you guys have done that. Well, uh, well I mean... I Hacking a game. Go ahead. <laughs> well, right. But yeah. it's something that therapists, but, and I know teachers do this a lot too with yeah. things, to get it to fit that time frame or that need. And I, I don't know if everybody knows that you guys are doing this. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's it's as much straight lifting as you want to do to as much kind of, because again, I, and, and in no way am I sounding like, I hope I don't sound like I'm at all down on Watsi or whatever, but everybody, when they think therapeutic RPG, they immediately go, oh, D&D therapy. And I'm like, well, hold on, no, it's role-playing game therapy because I've worked with some clients who don't get the mechanics of D&D. And, and then people are like, well, just use the rules light version. I'm like, hold on. Or I could use Dungeon World, which also has great ways to set up natural relationships amongst the characters. It also has all your character choices on one play sheet. So for a person learning RPG, that level of accessibility, it, I mean, because even explaining to a, a lay person who has never played an RPG before, that even is a consideration. Because we talk about, you know, with, with one kid, we said, you know, so what's an RPG? And people always go, well, you could do anything that you want. No, you can't. If you're level one, read this book. yeah, right. Here's here's, <laughs> here's your 200 page opus of like, you know, we we were telling a group of right. uh, new, new therapists we were training today. When you open a rule book for the first time, it is like I handed you an ancient text of a dead language because <laughs> you don't speak it. And the first question you say is, "Why the heck do I have so many damn charts in this thing? What do I need all these charts for?" Well, most of the early ones you're not going to need uh, all the time. But so I think that accessibility and we borrow so much because it works like the relationship questions from kids on bikes or kids on brooms or teens in space. We modify those questions for groups that run in a fantasy setting. We modify those because those questions, specifically the I'm going to roll and whether you like someone or don't like someone, whether you don't even know someone, powerful build in drama, which has been very helpful for people who are new. So yeah, I'm. It, it, if it's something that catches a goal, especially it's a mechanic that works. So it is, you know, like you said, it's kind of this piece that does the thing and you're like, oh my God, mm -hmm. I need to slap that on like, on the hot rod of therapeutic RPG I'm building. <laughs> right. Like, I love that spoiler. I'm gonna put that on the back so that draft comes up, you know what I mean? Yeah, so in our, in our early days of when we formed this company, we, we're, we're running role-playing games. We're trying to make things work. But we noticed that like a lot of our clients with, uh, with autism had trouble focusing. So we started pulling things in like Rubik, Rubik snakes. And uh, they would fidget with that. And then we would start bringing Rubik's cubes or, or some type of tool that we could use as a fidget. And then it started to evolve into let's play... Um, um, what's the name of that game? The one that we have every version of it. 
Oh, Blockus. Blockus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I oh, even knew what you were yeah. talking about. Heather doesn't Blockus? work here. And she's like, <laughs> my, my, my mind you know, that, that thing with the shapes. <laughs> I know so, that they talk about a Blockus a lot, so I knew, figured it was that. Yeah. So, Blockus Circus. <laughs> so, having watching them, like our, our clients, put the pieces together while they're waiting was enough to stop like some self-stimulating behaviors. So we started seeing that and we started taking pieces from games like that and we would put them on the table as we played games just to try to to alleviate some of those like self-stimulating behaviors. When it, when things are becoming too much and we start becoming anxious and we need to move and we need to like let some of that energy out, it's there on the table. Before I started talking about all the duct tape we use in the office. Um <laughs> What, uh, what, like, I'm trying to think, Tim, uh, what's the most crunchiest system we've used? Like, what's the, the most rules heavy system we've used in the office? Uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, the RPG, yep. yeah, yeah, you're right. Shadow Run um, for us is probably was the crunchiest we've used in session, and you know, like, like, you know, we're, we're saying crunchy does have a time and a place, but um, when you look at us using sentinels we built them we built them up to that from the card game yeah yeah so sometimes we might take a, a lighter game to build up to that higher um difficulty level right you know and, and it is a way to kind of create a roads towards mastery and a roads towards like oh wow i really understood this and now i'm ready for the next thing uh and that is part of therapeutic growth as Absolutely. well um but, but back to the duct tape always that's how I repair cars too um so I, I think some of the some of the 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 most interesting things we've done is like and it didn't work uh we took skeletons <laughs> and tied it to strings so we took skeletons you're playing this like long dead creature and it's it's by the time you're done with it you're you're done like that you know some necromancer brought you back you're a skeleton and you've magic has worn off um and then we tied it to another game called strings and it was like mm. what would you do to come back to life nice and so and the reason it didn't work which was interesting for, for therapy purposes was um the clients were like no i, I feel like I, I lived a full life and, and even a full afterlife and it was like i'm done wow. like I'm, 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 I'm okay ending there there, there's also uh, there's also something in that as well, you know, yeah. uh, being able to say, yes, I, ha I lived a full life out of all of this, you know, and having to be able to, to see that. Well, it, I, I mean, I think when you talk first about things like, you know, different systems for genre, just that's, that's the dip in the pool, right? Because yeah. another criticism, I guess, that, that I have about the whole D&D therapy thing is, I mean, personally, I've played tons of D&D in my life because it's kind of like what I knew, what I had at the time, who my friends were. I, I'm not really a fantasy guy. I, I'm mm. a Call of Cthulhu guy. I'm a Marvel superheroes guy. I'm a sci-fi guy. You know, I, so that genre, if I was a kid in therapy and you ran me through D&D &D or even Pugmire or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I, I can get behind it, but it's not, it's not my jam, you know? So I think talking about systems that emulate, and I like how with things like Kids on Bikes and stuff, we're getting specific even to the way that the system emulates us. Uh, Spectrum Games is one of my favorite indie companies because they call themselves like the emulation 
station. Mm -hmm. So they have a slasher flick game. They have a game that is all about emulating 1930s radio serials called On the Air. And, and I found that that specificity gives it a theme. It gives it a drive, which also informs, okay, so what am I trying to do? Am I talking about power? I might want to use the superheroes games because, man, uh, what better metaphor? I mean, look at the right. boys as a show talking about misused yeah. power and power differentials. That's just a natural set. I must save these pitiful poor mortals. Hey, get out of here, Superman. We don't need you, Cape. Yeah. You know, it, it, so I think, I think genre and setting is very huge. I think, going. too, if, if, if you're talking about the fact that it's maybe someone new to RPGs at all or, you know, very, very light with it or a younger kid that's never played, even if they're heard of it and thought it seemed cool, you're going to hook them way better if they're really into superheroes or yeah. zombies or Cthulhu than just being like, well, now you have to do this and this and like, eh, I don't care. Well, yeah. Well, without going too far away from, from like, I, I was going to say duct tape, but I'll say hack this time. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> Is um, what, what what we're talking about though, and and what you were just saying, Jack, is something that the therapist should be hammering out as part of their intake, and I think yes. that that's something that you know I don't I don't want us to forget where is not oh what not just what systems we want or what systems what themes we want it's okay what does your clients want in their group yes. and how can you yep. give them that with the systems you have. You know, yeah, our our intake form asks, do you have any gaming experience? And not just RPG. No. Do you play board games? Do you play video games? Do you play, and even with card games, do you play CCGs versus standard, regular? Like, you still play spades if anyone else right. actually uses cards anymore. But then we ask about what are your favorite movies, TV shows, who are your favorite characters and stories? Because going back to what you said, Brian, talking about the way that we use metaphor and allegory in these stories, if yeah. I know that you dig Naruto and you're a displaced teen that tells me volumes about the kind of stories I want to run for you. Yep. You know, yep. And, and what's yeah. going to draw you in with, which is hugely like the immersion drives bleed because it allows the person to slide it, back and forth between that player and that character identity, you know, very seamlessly sometimes. Yeah. And that's something that, that should be again, back to that intake. It's, the, the, the player might need a certain theme to get through to help themselves, or the group yeah. might need a certain theme to help through to help themselves, but they may not be ready to start there. Like you as the therapist might know, okay, this, this theme is probably something they need to get to, but they're not ready. So let's see where they want to go first. Um, yep. One thing that we wound up doing that, um, only now, like getting ready to talk about it. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, DCD, uh, Dungeon Crawl, or the DCC Dungeon Crawl Classics? Classics from yeah, yeah. Where the idea of like starting almost like at a zero level, and then kind of we wound up doing that with Fate, with Fate Core, and wow. we didn't, you know, only now talking about it, I'm like, oh wait, that's what we were doing, and we didn't realize that we were doing it at the time. Nice. We were just like. Hey, play to find out what your skills are. Yeah. And and we left the skill sets open. We didn't we, we told them, hey, you don't have to fill everything in. We'll make your character, we'll make the things that you like and, and what you think your character is gonna like. Um, and let's see what you actually use. And then those are the skills yeah. that you start building as you're playing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and even further, like you don't you don't have to drive straight for the skill set because let's look at yeah. traditional therapeutic module and, and what we do with modalities that the first two, maybe three months of a lot of therapy in some cases is just, hey, can I get you to trust me? Can, can we yeah. just talk and get to know each other? And a lot of people are so like, oh my God, but I got to prove it to insurance and I got to prove it to this person, this person that, you know, if I'm not talking about like your social skills goal or your relationship with your father in like the first session, I'm like, slow down, Jones, calm down. Let this person, because how many, we're all our peers. How long does it take us to get comfortable in that character space? Ha raise your hand if you've ever changed an accent or the name of your character or a part of your backstory because you're like, <laughs> yeah, something no, something doesn't feel right. That no, can I change that? Is that okay? Let them play to get comfortable. Just just have fun because that's still, you know, borrow from Tuckman and Yalom, all that play space and you know, yeah. getting comfy. It's okay to let people just have fun for a little while while you're still building skills, yeah. you know, without going heavy. Right. We, we've been playing with one group uh, probably for over three to four months now, uh, meeting once a week. And it's every session for the, like the last month, they've been like, oh, wow, this is the best session. This is the best session. This is the best. Yes. And, it's, and nothing has changed on our end. What's changed is that they're growing together yes. at, cohesively. Yes. And now they're more comfortable and they're more, you know, they're more ready. I'm like, you like starting out, you guys would have been scared to like do anything that's remotely close to this scene we just did. And it probably, <laughs> you know, and we wouldn't find out about it till like weeks later. But, you know, um, now you're like jumping into it. You're ready to, to apparently put me in a man cannon and just shoot my character towards the enemies <laughs> because, you know, that's what that's what happens when you're like the supportive like therapist like playing <laughs> playing alongside them. Cool. Um, well, that sounds good. I think what I, it's probably around it's closing in on nine o'clock. So I was gonna say, why don't we quickly talk about um, a question that came in, and then we'll go into our designs. Yep. So a question nice. came in that said, um, "What are some accessibility measures you would like to see featured in game designs more often?" Don't include a D4. Don't include yeah. D4. D different different size dice. I mean, like we we spent how long having this conversation? I know we can talk about that. Uh, the yeah. one that I'm working on with Tim and Brian, we it, we had kept all of the polyhedrals, and then we realized we could just get rid of the D4. It solves some mechanical issues, and apparently, I didn't I didn't know this, but for younger kids and certain clients, it's very hard to to hold. It's hard to read and understand, which is the thing. So yeah. Don't have it anymore. So, it's probably pretty easy. Some, <laughs> some other accessibility things that I would really like to see in role-playing games is for low uh, verbal skill or non-verbal skill at all. Yeah. Being able yeah. to have the tools at the table as a part of the game in order to communicate with everyone else at the table. Uh, and whether whatever mechanical thing that you want to use for that is something I would love to see in more games. Well, 
I, um, well, one, I mean, one thing talking about, you know, I, I agree 1000% with you, Tim, because I, I did a lot of work for a number of years with adults with varying levels of disability, some were non-traditionally communicative. And one of the things that we kind of envision, especially for kids is, you know, we talk about soundboards and, yeah. you know, like, you know, touch apps that, that aid in creating speech and sentence. What if you crafted like a wizard spell book that was okay. So you had the elements and let, you know, have the child or the person pick the picture they want to represent like fire yep. ice acid whatever yep. and have like cone beam ray ring so now i can go cast ring of fire bang yep. that's your spell or for a fighter's yeah. handbook and make it do i swing do i stab do i chop do i blunt you know create this thing so the person can engage and you know th so yeah. that's definitely a huge one yeah, that, I mean, luckily for our animals and adventures, Tim and Brian felt so strongly about that, that we are including it. It's not going to be printed in the book. It will be probably a deck of cards at this point. It's, we, it could change into a small book, but it would be in like a toolbox in the box um, yeah. because it, you, you see, you've seen it so much and you see the need for that so much that uh, I, I think that's great. And also, even if they're, they are verbal, but they have high social anxiety, that's a way you can ease them yeah. in where they could still talk, but also point. Yeah. What, one yeah. other thing I would like to see more um, is bigger pieces to things. Mm. Because yeah. uh, we've had clients with like cerebral palsy who cannot articulate small pieces in a game. So having like larger pieces, larger dice, or or uh, a cardstock that's just a little tougher for uh, a character sheet. Those things yeah. would be great. Well, even like I, I, I always point to like games that I think do these things very well that give us kind of lessons for what to include, like No Thank You Evil for Monty Cook games. They had two design elements that were that were amazing. One, they had like a dry erase character sheet card. Yes for for it and so yes so now as i'm doing i don't have to because me you know back in the day when my D, &D characters on loose leaf in a notebook you know i would like how many times do i have to erase and rewrite my hit points there's like eight holes in there's the a paper. hole yeah right. holes right. in the paper but they also did three different levels of character sheet that were designed for different ages slash different cognitive level yep. where they included more complex aspects of the game so the game grew with the client it grew um, it grew with the child that's brilliant because now it's either we meet you at where your level is or if we know that you're starting intro we can start you here but then as you grow and progress so that i think is another thing that people typically grow from system to system. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that if something's truthfully going to be like developmental, uh, developmentally beneficial or therapeutically relevant, uh, there's also a great uh, card game called Dragons of Ryu that was designed specifically for feelings work with folks on the spectrum. And it goes from a recognition tool of recognizing emotions through the dragons to then it's a card versus where I play a card opposing the emotions, so I deal with sadness how by this, and then it has a role playing game attached to it. So it's mm. this true, like, it's a RYU. Yeah, it's a total progression. I'm like, that's brilliant. That's cool. Yeah. So it, so it grows with the client meeting, but it also gives the opportunity to meet the, the client where they're at, which is very important in terms of any accessibility. Sure. We, we've been playing uh, at times in the office, uh, Untold Adventures Awaits. 
And so sometimes, like, what I've noticed is happening is um, the outcome may not match the person's reaction. It, from however we're playing it, the two don't necessarily line up. Um, it hasn't become a problem in gameplay, and, and and possibly because one, the reaction is like, like almost like a, an emoticon, right? So it's a drawn face, and you know how the face. So um, what I tend to do is, okay, this happened this way for you, right? Like it's not going to work out for you, but why are you still happy? Like, you know, and, and like, even though it doesn't match up. So it's like, if it's not going to match up, like if you even have that as a possibility, um, try to have, and this might be part of like the hack, right? Uh, try to have some something that gives them the reason why that would happen. Why would you have that? Because if we had like, you know, because I've, you know, we've seen it, right? Where mood and affect doesn't line up. Yeah. Um, we, you know, when that happens, we're like, oh, something is wrong here when we see that happen to people, right? So in our gameplay, if the mood and the affect or the action and, and, and the mood aren't lining up, we need to be able to um, help them understand why or, be, or, or make it part of the theme or make it part of the, um, or part of, okay, explain that, you know, you give that to me. So they could take ownership of me, you know, because I, I have kids who, it, it's not going to line up sometimes. Okay, this is the time where it's not lining up or where it might line up and you have control over it. You have narrative control over it. Show me. Okay. All right. Well, then let's, uh, let's, that was, that was really good. Um, let's kind of chat about, I think from, from your perspectives more than mine, why you saw the need to create a different RPG that would be used for therapy than what's currently out in the market right now. Do you, do you want to go first for NA or do you want me? Oh, go ahead, man. Mine might, mine might be shorter because I'm not quite as far away. Um, with with uh, tentative title Branch Riders, which is a system that the Bodana Group is working on, we tried to come from our – like we, we know that there are so many different systems out there. And one of our big barriers that we saw in the industry and in the field is – it's getting better, but the, the amount of communication between practitioners and game designers, it's increasing, but it for the longest time, it hasn't been there. And therapy games were very, very boring. Uh, so when we talk about this, we, we, run the, we run the risk of, I have a whole bunch of people like knocking down our door for like consultation advice. And I got people who are going, where are the therapy modules? And I'm like, I don't know. We write our adventures, so I don't know what you're talking about. And they go, well, but I want to do this RPG therapy. And I'm like, have you ever played an RPG? Well, no, please don't do this. So it, that kind of led us to a, okay, there's a lot of people that are wanting, going to want to cash in on this as like the new hotness. I get it. But we then saw there's a lot of great therapists out there who could do very well in this model, but they don't know games. And even further, they're like, well, how do you write these stories? How do you come up with all these adventures? <laughs> so our start was to provide a system that would provide an easy mode for parents and therapists 
to tell skill building opportunities. So we basically are adventurers about branch riders who are these uh, heroes that can travel to all these different worlds that are represented by our different heroes of the game, which are avatars that we have. Uh, like uh, Sagan represents critical thinking, Roe represents resilience. So each of their worlds are stylized after a therapeutic concept. So if you're telling a story in Roe's world, it's easier to tell a story that helps instill or develop resilience. So we went from a world building creates the narrative, which is very much in Bodana's wheelhouse. Um, we wanted to be able to have people create very vibrant worlds that work very naturally into telling a certain type of story, while at the same time the heroes are talking about learning and togetherness and working with other people from like different areas or worlds. So that's kind of where we started is we we wanted a something that a parent who comes new to RPG doesn't have to feel overwhelmed or a therapist that doesn't know RPG can come in and create these stories because that's where we believe you know, that, that most of the therapy comes through. So that was one of our core design principles. Um, and then I think on the player aspect, it was, you know, like I said earlier, explore, engage, rehearse, repeat. We wanted the play experience to modify that as well. So we needed to create opportunities for people to be able to feel creative and explore, build the worlds while they're exploring through them. So that was, that was kind of one of our cores. Okay. Um, so uh, for us, we've seen there was a lot of a need. You know, we, we had a lot of things, a lot of holes in all the games that we pick up. And we saw ourselves pretty much hacking everything we played just so it would fit what we wanted to do in a session. And there were so many holes that... Heather sat down one day and, and contacted us and said, hey, do you want to make a game together? And we're like, yes, please. Well, we have met, you know, we met many years ago. We've talked about many things like Metatopia or Dreamation. Just in, in talking and passing about a game we just play tested and then saying, oh, I love how I could use this part of this game or this particular part or great game where the whole game would really work in my session. So we would talk about that all the time. And I thought it was very cool and a different perspective than why I would design the game or what we were making the game for. So uh, over this past winter, I had just been thinking I had really wanted to get into the realm of designing RPGs. But again, I'm fairly new to it. And I wanted to do a very light kids, very light uh, game, light rules, light game that would be a, for children so that I felt that I would be you know, comfortable writing something like that. And then, and Tim and Brian were the people I wanted to reach out to right away. And it was pretty much like week one of the pandemic. I was like, are you guys interested in this? And they were like, we were going to call you. It was like perfect timing. We've got nothing to do for about yeah. however many yeah. weeks or months. So yeah. that's how it all came to be. But it was because I think you've been thinking about this for years, right? Yeah. The need for yeah. this. So that was, that was one of the things that, so this is, I think this is our sixth Metatopia. I think this is either it is, I think this is our sixth one, right? So for four years straight, <laughs> I would sit in panels and I was like, "Hey, is there anything for this group? Is there anything for this group? I want to have something for kids." And everybody was like, "Oh, D and D," or like, "There's a hack out there like D and D for kids," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." Like, and, and so um, I kept being brought back to something that. 
wasn't meeting that threshold. It wasn't meeting what I felt I needed for the kids that I was working with. Um, and like Tim was saying, we were just, you know, pick and choose and pick and choosing like what, what works, what didn't work. Um, but then it's like, it hit me. It's even if there was something out there, it wouldn't hit the cognitive level I wanted to hit or it wouldn't hit the age level I want to hit. Right. And, and we so, are saying kids, oh, sorry, we are saying kids, but it's more cognitive level that we're, we're designing from a five to 12 year old cognitive level. It doesn't mean they are only five years old, but yeah. it could be. Yeah. And, and so like, even that, like you have, you have no thank you evil, right. That's out there. And that it's beautiful. I'm, I'm happy that it's there. Right. But at times I'm like, even this is still too high of a cognitive level for some of the kids that I'm working with. Yeah. So, um, you know, and we, we talk about five-year-olds, but as we're designing this, I'm already thinking about how to hack this for four and three-year-olds if I had to, right? Because that's the cognitive level that I might be dealing with at any time. So it- Or yeah. even developmental level as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, which, which is different from cognitive I'm, level. I've gotten, I've, I have had a couple kids come in the office um, who was younger than we should do than we were. It's like, oh, you have my son. Do you want my other son? Like, it was one of those. And, like, the kid was big. So I was like, oh, he's got to be, like, seven. Yeah, it's fine. He's, like, four. And, like, and, but I'm watching him telling stories with, like, just pieces from uh, Haba Games, like, First Orchid, right? Yeah. And I'm like, all he needs is just the tools. You know, all he needs yeah. is is a thing, and we working together, you know, can play that out with him. You know, and and the other thing that I noticed, particularly in that group, was he needed somebody to play with, to tell the stories to, or to share the stories with. And I could right. see that even, um, and this is, I, and I think this is one of the big things for RPG and therapy is even if you have a group, and sometimes that group isn't connecting. Just the fact that the therapist is there to hear their story that they're creating and, and working together with, and they feel that they're being heard is sometimes enough. And so your design has to has to have that in mind. It has to have that like a moment where they know that you're listening. And that and I think that's something that, you know, everyone has to kind of be careful with when they're busy trying to tell the story in their head to children. When you want the children to tell you the story that they're making. So what one of our like our big things was like, you know, we wanted to fill all these holes and and Chris had came up with polymorph. And it was almost like a fitting thing for us, you know, like polymorph or it's a game that that changes, it does different things. And we started adding little pieces here and there and changing it to to customize it the way we needed it to be. And now it's starting to work for us and, and we're starting to see how it's going to work. And it's it's really starting to come together. So we, we're focusing our stories on non-combat. Social, it, we, I'll say social combat because it's the, the term that's used, but yeah. uh, we're really just working on social skills. And most of our, it's more of a, a Hono Bono game, uh, if you will, uh, a feel good. We're going on adventures to learn how to act appropriately in the world by using our avatars as animals in this world. And some of the things that we really wanted to do in the game were make sure that we had 
like things for accessibility, larger dice. We wanted to have cards to be able to be like, oh, I'm going to jump over the bridge and try to get the apple or get the fruit or get whatever you're trying to get on the other side. Um, I wanted to have those those types of tools built into the game so that everything that we needed was there. And we're, we talked about having the character sheet have uh, an emotional wheel around it. So animals' faces, they're mad or they're happy or whatever they are around the character sheet so that if the, if the therapist wants to check in with the client, they can say, well, how is your animal feeling right now? They can just point to that emotion if they cannot register how to, to either vocalize or, or, or make the face uh, facial features themselves. Right. Yeah. And I know Tim came to me, I mean, we were talking about this, about using the polymorph system because it is a, a very rules light narrative based yeah. uh, storytelling system that is quite simple to use because you roll one die, like just a D six and you have to hit a specific number to succeed. So for a child or anyone of a cognitive level of five, it's like, well, you need a three, four or five. There you go. Like, it's very simple. They know if they succeeded. The therapist knows if they're not a role-playing person. Um, And, you know, we wanted to have a lot of these things. Uh, The coolest thing that that Tim came up with is uh, what I think is really going to make it is is we're calling it, or you're calling it, the emotional economy right now. Um, If you want to go a little bit into that. So the emotional economy is pretty much... So we're, we want to we want to work on building relationships, and we want to work on building community. Because what one of the, the 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 weaknesses that we see in a lot of our our clients is I don't want to say weaknesses, more of the challenges is, is a, a more appropriate weird yeah. a need uh, is is building relationships and community and having a community. So in the game, we want to have a map of our town that we all live in as animals, a few houses, a town hall, a restaurant, and Main Street. And through the adventures, you're going to go and meet other animals and help them on on your journeys along the way. And you're going to earn tokens, like an economy, built off of social-emotional learning. So uh, maybe you are trying to relate to someone else. So you'll get a token for that. And you'll be collecting these. Yeah, empathy, cooperation, honesty, right. And so (laughs) building off of those pillars of social emotional learning, collecting these tokens around these these aspects of it, and then meeting all these animals, these the, the community that you're going to invite to come to your town, and you're going to use the economy that you've collected to uh, add something to the town. So maybe you add the candy store. So which one of the NPCs that you have met are going to come and open that candy store for you now? And now you have a new place to go and new adventures to go off of because there's a new place in town with friends that you met along on your journey. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see it almost like it's almost like a little bit of a legacy element yeah. uh, yes. in a board game uh, because it'd be, you know, you'd literally be like putting stickers on it and things like that. Because um, like the biggest thing for me, and I'm sure Jack, you agree, and you, maybe you guys do as well. I know you do actually is 
therapy games don't necessarily look fun and maybe yeah. aren't fun. Yeah. And the kids know it's not <laughs> cool and fun. Yeah. So if it looks yeah. cool and fun, they might be much more interested and excited to be like, oh, I get to play this next week. Not, oh, I'm being tested. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, one of the, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to cut you. Were you finished yeah, no, with that? Yeah. So, so I mean, one of the, one of the big design aspects that we're pretty excited about is is our stats that we chose. So we instead of going with your standard like here's your dexterity, your strength, your you know stuff like that, we decided to go with kind of approaches as as our model. So instead of those typical stats, you have creative, forceful, knowledgeable, observant, and social. So now it's you have these powers, you have these abilities, but instead of this is what I'm doing. It's, well, why are you doing it? So it's talking about, well, like, you know, if I want to be observant in a combat situation, I'm studying my opponent. I'm trying to find, like, what the pattern is, or maybe I'm being observant about the world to try to see, like, is there a chandelier that I can, like, knock over to knock on these guys' heads? But that also might be creative. So it's giving players an opportunity to more to engage as to why, but then also like when something bad happens, it's a way to explore choice and consequence that where you're trying to be social with your skill. So maybe social stealth. Now you're mixing an approach with a skill. So it's while you're trying to maybe, you know, do a Bugs Bunny dress up kind of thing or like you're in disguise or whatever. So it then helps the player think through how they want to go through something and why, which I think is important for social emotional learning which we also tied into the way powers affect either is it yourself, others of the world, which yeah. is a direct link from SEL. So, yeah. you know, it's talking about the impact and then instead of power levels, we're exploring a, a moment versus a minute in terms of like, if you're using a power, so how does it, is it quick or does it take like a minute? So it's easier for people to, instead of using like your round encompasses 10 seconds, you had second and I'm like, I need a map. My I'm cross-eyed now because I can't because <laughs> math. Um, but I mean, a lot of those elements again are, are pretty much driven by we want characters. So this way, if it's younger children, they can feel very like, okay, what's creative look like? Like, be what does forceful look like? It's it's emotional standpoints as well. You know, that kind of help explain the player choice and what they're going to do. So. One other thing I wanted to touch on about animals and adventures was uh, one of the things that we found is that usually dealing with younger clients or just younger kids in general, sometimes you need things to bring them back to the table, uh, bring them back, refocus them. One of the things that we made sure that we embedded in the game was those natural breaks where we can insert, if you're going to use it in the school, you can insert your your lesson for the day. So like if you're tying it into math, maybe the the problem to get across the bridge is a math problem or a set of math problems and you can set that into the into the game, bring everyone back, then bring them back into the venture and finish it. Uh, but the same thing could happen for therapy where we can do a check-in or we can do some type of activity to express our emotions or even if we're parents, if we want to put maybe a jigsaw puzzle down and we want to have them solve the jigsaw puzzle, that's how you bring them back to the table and refocus nice. them to, to get the energy going again. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, just 
I was excited about that a lot because one of the things that I've done just like from events that I've run is I've watched the masses of the 400 or the 100 people at that event and they just get excited when they get to do a hands-on thing. It just, yeah. if it hits a point and they're mingling, but then there's, you know, I don't know everybody. Next thing you know, it's like, well, we're going to go whatever it might be. You know, you have to go find these things or put this Lego together or stack these boxes and win a prize. All of a sudden, everyone's engaged in talking about it. So I feel, yeah. you know, it's not just kids, but adults, you know, we just are forced to kind of be like, well, we're in the session for an hour, so we have to sit here. But, you know, it's the same thing. You still lose them mentally. I mean, eventually yeah. people are looking at their phone, people are, you know, getting up and walking around. So, you know, it's still the same, even if we're in non-therapy. So I think that that's great. And it really, I think would be a good selling point to a therapist or a teacher because it's like, oh yeah, this happens or all the time. Me. And I cannot <laughs> order you. Yeah. yeah, it cannot, you know, we can't just uh, sit here for two straight hours and play. I, we wish we could, but that's just not, yeah. not reality. So I thought that was good for, for you know, Tim to bring those in. And, and when you're, right now, what we're working on is kind of breaking the adventures in, into what we hope would be about a 15 minute blocks. Yeah. So that if necessary, nice. they could be stopped. If you know, yeah. they could be stopped if necessary. Uh, so that it would work with people's schedules. Yeah. That's also great for school settings like behavioral resource rooms. You know what they used to call TPC yep. or yep. out of class suspension or whatever. That's a great short intervention. Yeah. What, that, what that you the, could use. That's one brilliant. of the things that we we really wanted to encompass into this was the wraparound approach. You know. We want to be able to have this. You can buy this. The teacher can have this, and the therapist can have it. And you're all working together to work on the common goals of the child. Yeah. And then um, when you go, I have home, one question. Parents, oh, your parents yeah. could, you know, parents could do it. No, yeah. It has to be. It has to be like accessible enough. And, and this is one of like the, the big things is accessible enough, just not just so that the parents can run it if they wanted to, but possible to have the kid run it for the parents yeah yeah that'd be amazing um there's a question from the audience and we have about eight minutes left so let's try to get this in and then we can wrap it up um they want to know if we could touch on bleed and its utility and therapy play versus typically guarding against it in public play and i don't know what bleed uh, means but maybe you guys do well it, <laughs> it, it no it, re it really depends on the goal i mean we talked I know in Bodano, we talk a lot about you either heed the bleed or seed the bleed. So when you seed the bleed, you're building elements in. Uh, bleed is the idea, idea that what you're doing as a character is either informed or quote unquote bleeds over into what you're doing as, as a character. And then what you do as a character, how that informs or bleeds into your player identity. So, you know, it might be you know, that guard is really kind of resembling that boss that I really wanted to knock the heck out during that meeting today. That's a little bit of bleed going on there. Or or it might be, you know, I, my character went through this amazingly emotional journey and I'm like, wow, like I, I, I cried as my character. Like, what is that saying about my stress level right now or whatever? So now the game experience is bleeding over and, and you, it's another aspect of intentionality with, with therapeutic gaming that if I seed the bleed, I want transference or counter-transference to happen through that relationship. I want that player to experience that moment, but we can also heed the bleed that if a person is not ready yet for that content, then we avoid connection with that. And sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, we do that through X card lines and veils, yeah, script changes, what have you, but. I was yeah. just going to say, uh, 
safety mechanics. Yeah, I, I don't want to go into great detail about it because I'm sure there's been like five panels on it already, but oh, yeah. safety mechanics. Yeah, if, if you're running therapeutic <laughs> gaming and you're not using any therapy, even board games, and you're not using a safety mechanic, no. you should not be doing this type of work. Yeah. Period. You have Great to be mindful point. of that. You have to be mindful of uh, within emotional wellness, there is uh, catharsis and ab reaction. So when we talk about bleed, we are usually talking about catharsis. Yes. Um, but you still need to be mindful of the, the chances of an ab reaction. So, for example, it's um, an involuntary reaction that may not necessarily be positive that's being held in and it's not necessarily being released because the catharsis is about that release, right? Uh, an ab reaction will seem and look a little bit more like trauma at times. Um, yeah. So what we wound up doing uh, over the last couple of months is we play the game uh, and I try to see if it's at, at all possible to have individual sessions during the week. So it would be like the group session, uh, let them play it out. I don't want to stop. Oh, I see that this must be about your dad today. You know, like I, I, I'm right, not doing right. that. Uh, we're, we're, we're letting you play it out. We'll have close, a debrief. Too close. Um, you know, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to bring up stuff in the last five minutes that you're not ready to process yeah, yeah, yeah. to begin right. with. And, and we go and we deal with that either through individual gameplay, one-on-one -on -one role-playing storytelling uh, in the individual session, or, you know, if, if they're capable of doing it in a, in a more um, didactic way, we'll, we'll do that. Like whatever is the, the most healthy way to work it out individually. Like, so that way it's not like, oh, let me just cut you open in front of everybody else and just have your guts. You know, if they're not ready, if, if they were ready for that, they would have done it. You know, yeah, yeah it's it's, it's, yeah. it's client centered. Go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. I mean, I've seen beautiful moments where like that has happened in in games of uh, in a particular game of um, quiet year. the quiet year. Yeah, where a client was processing something that happened to them two days beforehand uh, with their parent, and they were processing that in the game and no one else knew it at the table besides the the therapists that were in the room so it was a really powerful moment to see it happen but that's not going to always be the case you you should always if if you're trying to use rpgs for therapy uh if the client is ready to do something like that they'll do it and if not you should be trying to process with them individually like brian said 100 yeah. percent yeah, and, and that's why it goes back to that rapport developing those first two yeah. to three months of allowing that safe space, players knowing that their choices and, and such are going to be respected. You know, that that basic setup literally paves paves the road for the rest of the journey. So one cool. very important Thanks for answering that. One very important thing yeah. I would like to say though is sure. if you are playing a game that is intended for therapy, do not think you're doing therapy. Leave that to the professionals, please. Yes, absolutely. Very good point. I'm going to say we have three minutes left. Any closing thoughts? I think Tim just said Tim's closing thought, but if you have anything else, uh, that's the main one. Uh, and anybody it, else? If, yeah, if you're interested in doing this as a practitioner, but you do not have RPG experience, please go to conventions, go to local game stores, go to local play groups online. Try, try before you try. 
<laughs> uh, um, and seek out consultation training and you know i'm not just saying just from us yeah. there's plenty of folks out there that do training and consultation on this we are just one of them uh but get trained connect with other professionals because you you this is a growing modality this is still a baby in the therapy yeah. world and we and we need to make it legitimate by sharing ideas and no one owns this it's everybody's yeah. but we got to make sure we're all playing in the same playground if you're interested in uh, joining a community of other therapists or professionals that are doing this for a living, contact me over the weekend. Uh, I'll be on the Discord, and I will point you in the direction of another Discord, where it's just a bunch of therapists and professionals who do this for a living. Yep. And you can share what your thoughts and ideas. Yep. What we'll do is, um, after this is done, I'll just post some of that information in the panel watch channel over on the main discord okay, so anybody perfect. who's wants to check it out can go over there all right uh brian any other closing thoughts i, I would say um i would say like find out what what change means for you right like mm -hmm. what does change mean for you as a therapist and then look for games that have that similar feel do you want your like like so don't don't pick something that's so contrary to what you believe changes that you don't feel that what you're doing is going to create change, right? Like there, there's like, you have like, I'm trying to find a better way to say this. Um, and you're working with your clients. Sam, are you able to interpret? <laughs> yeah, can, I, I, need, I, need a, I need a, I need a whisperer here. You, you need emotional support nerd? Yeah, I need my emotional support nerd. Um, that, that. No. Why did that just happen? Um, we got a visitor. Hi. Okay. Hello. Oh, maybe that was our, our cue to say goodbye. You're in the wrong that channel. Is over the so uh, my my clothing my clothing uh, thought is goodbye. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I hit the wrong thing. Sorry. No, it's okay. Well, that's okay. Thank you again yep. to Jack, Brian, and Tim. And again, I'm Heather. We'll post everything over in the main Discord. Thanks for yep. listening. Thanks. Thank you. Bye, Take guys. Care.